Amen. Good morning once again. We are so glad that all of you are here. Can we give God praise for our worship team one more time? The awesome job. We're done. Awesome. Good stuff as always. Well, it is a big day, a great day for a variety of reasons around here. If you've been around Hope for a while, you may know that we are one church in multiple locations, and that means that Hope Des Moines is just one of six uh, campuses around the metro area, as well as multiple uh, local sites around the state and around the Midwest now uh, as well. And so there, uh, from time to time, it's good to all get on the same page and be unified and hear the same message. And so normally myself or Chris is up here preaching live about 95% of the time, but once in a while, we like to come together and hear from our senior pastor, Mike Householder, at our West Des Moines campus. So in just a minute, we'll go live there with our little TV studio in the back there and cut over uh, to them live as well. But as always, we want to encourage you to have your Bibles out during the message and bring those every week. I know we're one of those wild and crazy churches that opens up our Bibles every week and encourages you to bring that as well. If you don't have one, they're in the back of the bookshelves as well as you can pull out your phone or your tablet if you want to do it that way and pull out your favorite Bible app. We're going to be in the book of Isaiah as we've been traveling through this series the last couple weeks called Tomorrowland based on the book of Isaiah. It's one of those books that we don't dig into a lot maybe during your devotional time, but it's a powerful, powerful book that points directly to our need for a Savior and then the sufficiency of our Savior in Jesus Christ. So we're excited to dive into that uh, today. And I want you to know this uh, as we get started today, that as you uh, worship and as you hear this message, that you are a part of a much bigger family, uh, the Hope family, and that you're a part of something bigger than yourself. As all of our campuses uh, tune in and worship together today, also want you to know that God sees you today. That regardless of why you're here or what brought you here this morning, if this is your first time here or your hundredth time here, wherever you came from this morning, God sees you. You're not anonymous to him. You're not another face in the crowd. God sees you and he knows everything about you. He knows what kind of week it's been for you. And the amazing thing about the power of the Holy Spirit is that God's Spirit connects with the Spirit of God that's living inside of us and tells us exactly what we need. The same message can go out to 10,000 people and receive it in a way that exactly we need to, in a very powerful and personal way. And so as we prepare our hearts to receive the message this morning, let's go to God in prayer and invite his spirit to be with us. Jesus, we thank you that you indeed meet us right where we're at, and not as we should be. That you accept us just as we are, but yet you refuse to leave us that way because you're a God that loves us way too much to keep us the same. So Jesus, we pray that our hearts would be soft and receptive to the word that you have for us this morning. You are the potter and we are the clay, and so mold us and shape us to be the kind of people that you would have us to be. God, none of us are beyond you. None of us have arrived. God, I pray that you would keep our hearts always open to whatever surprise you might have for us. That we may have came in here this morning expecting the same old, same old to go through the motions of religion. But God, you have something way bigger for us in plan in your, in your story this morning. God, open up our hearts to you now. Keep us soft and receptive so that you can plant the seeds into the soft soil of our hearts. We want everything that you have for us today. God, we love you, and we pray all of this in your name. And everybody said together, amen. amen. Uh, I am so glad to be back home. Uh, we have been, my wife and I have been traveling, and uh, we took a tour of all the Booming Hope campuses, and they're all booming, and we're so excited about that. We're also praising God for our local sites uh, that are growing, so if that's all of you, campuses and local sites, we praise God for you and the great things that God's doing in all of Hope's locations, not just here in West Des Moines. This is one church in multiple locations, and if you ask me how many we have, I honestly can't even tell you anymore. Um, not that we have like thousands that I know of anyway, but... We have at least six regular campuses and then several local sites, I think at least five or six of those. And uh, here's how hope goes, is we start this student ministry at Iowa State called Kairos, which has their big uh, boom and opening that you saw at the Hope 360 video uh, coming up called Kairos, and it's gonna be right there in the Iowa State campus outside by the Campanile. And then they're moving into a new building that they had to move into because they ran out of room in their old building. Uh, praise God for the growth. And then, since there's this uh, friendly, friendly, healthy rivalry between Cyclones and Hawkeyes, uh, folks here at Hope who've grown up at Hope, students and are now students at the University of Iowa are like, hey, we could do that. So now they're starting their own Kairos. We have zero staff. 
at University of Iowa, and they're all doing it on their own while they're college students. They're starting this ministry called Kairos. Just incredible. God, God is on the move around here, and there's no place like hope. Click, 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 right? There's no, I, I can't click very well, but there's, there's no place like hope. It's, it's true, and it's so good to be home again. Where, where's home for you? I hope this is part of that, whatever campus you're at, that that's, this is your church home, and that's a big part of it, and I'll point you biblically to some more on that as we go, but I, I want you to just think about it in every way. I don't mean where's your house, or your apartment, or your town home, or your residence. I, I mean, where's your home? Where are your people? Where are the people you do life with together, your sisters or brothers in Christ, your, your family? And that could be biological, it could be adopted, it could be spiritual, it could be all of the above. Certainly, if you're sitting there hearing this, it could be tempting to think, I don't really have a home then, I guess I, or I'm just all by myself in my home. But you really aren't, because you're sitting in the midst of family right now. And you say, yeah, but I'm just not that connected in this church. Well, but you could be. And this is a really good time to start that. We're starting a new Alpha course again. Here in a few weeks, that is a great starting point. Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. It's the first step for people who want to activate their faith, get going with God, or get started again if you've sort of gotten uh, sleepy spiritually. Uh, it's time to wake up, it's time to come home. And so I wanna encourage you to find that place. That's just one thing. There's women's ministries and men's ministries. Uh, there are life groups, there are mission trips, there are ministries you can volunteer at uh, and, and serve in. There are choirs and, and singing groups and all sorts of stuff, an orchestra, a bell choir. Um, I could go on and on and on, but I wanna encourage you to find your place and to find your uh, family and to find your home within Lutheran Church of Hope. Lutheran Church of Hope looks really big and feels really big until you find your home, until you find that place inside of it. And that isn't something that we do, that's as old as the book of Acts. They showed up by the thousands, uh, all of a sudden out of nowhere, and immediately, according to Acts 2, they broke into groups, they broke into smaller homes, and they met in homes, and they broke bread together, and they shared life together. And so I wanna encourage you uh, to look for those things. And all those doors are open around here. Hundreds and hundreds of doors are open for you to get connected and to find your spiritual home. So where's home for you? When I was coming back from Europe, I was speaking in Denmark a couple of weeks ago at a church gathering there. When I was coming home, we flew through O'Hare uh, to come back into the United States. I do not recommend that. Um, I, I would take any other airport, uh, and I'm from Chicago, but that was just a chaos. And it's a lot easier flying into Europe, in Denmark anyway, than it is flying back to the United States. But it might have just been the day, I don't know. But it was two and a half hours in customs or in the processing area before we could even get our passports out to show anybody. It was just crazy. And so I started to realize I've got two choices here. My wife and I had been split up because when you fly on her flight benefits, she works for an airline, she had to fly through Newark in another way and I was flying through O'Hare because those are the only flights we could get on. But I'm there by myself, and I realize I have two choices. I can either stare at my phone for two and a half hours and just do this over and over and over again, or I could get to know some of these people around here because this is kind of a unique opportunity. You're, you're at O'Hare, and people are flying in from all over the world to land at this airport, and they're all hanging out in this cattle processing area. <laughs> Uh, in order to get into the United States. And so, you know, some people around me who are more extroverted than I am started to make the most of it. And they started to talk uh, to one another. And this was the question that kept coming up. So where's home? Where are you from? Are you coming back home? Or are you visiting from home somewhere else? A lot of people are from Europe because the flight I was on was from there. Uh, two different countries in Africa were in our little section. Uh, uh, from Korea, there was somebody from South Korea. And so we're sharing all these stories. The world's like meeting in this little area at O'Hare. And this is, this is home uh, for some of us and not for others. When they asked me, I was very, very proud. I was very, very proud to say, home is Iowa for me. I'm not from here, but this is home now. We've lived here 29 years. That's longer than we've lived anywhere, by far. 
And we're, we're from Chicago, but this is home. And so, you know, I'm like, I'm from Iowa. Have you seen Field of Dreams? And they're like, what? You know, it's not heaven, but it's close. I mean, it's really, really good. Where's home for you? Some of you can answer that and say, you know, I, you haven't just been here 29 years. You've been here your whole life. Some of you could say you still live in the same house you were born in, which if you're five years old is not that impressive, but if you're, <laughs> if you're 75, that's pretty amazing. Um, you know, and, and you could say I'm second generation or third generation or fifth or sixth generation Iowan, and your roots run deep here, way deeper than mine. Where's home for you, and, and how do you define that? The reason I ask is not just to talk about coming home after being gone for over a month of speaking and touring our booming campuses, it's, it's because this book we're studying during the month of August, the book of Isaiah, is all about coming home. In fact, at the heart of this book, which is really the granddaddy of all prophetic books, is this chapter that we're looking at today. You heard the Bible reading, whatever campus you're worshiping at, Waukee or Grimes or Des Moines or Ankeny or Ames or here in West Des Moines or any of our local sites or if you're watching online. The, the Bible reading was from Isaiah 53, which is all about coming home. Let's back up and do a little quick overview of Isaiah. Pastor Caroline did a wonderful job of providing a, a, an even better overview when she introduced this book two weeks ago when she was preaching. But I want to make sure you're all on the same page. Isaiah is a prophet called by God. He lived in the 700s BC. He was active as a prophet for about 40 years. He brought words of warning in the first half as they're recorded of Isaiah. It's actually more than a half. It's more like two-thirds, chapters 1 to 39. And then the back part of Isaiah, starting in verse four, chapter 40 all the way to the end, were words of comfort and hope. It's like this massive transition. You can't miss it. The words of warning in the first 39 chapters were given because the people of God were um, in rebellion. They're in rebellion against each other, and uh, they're in rebellion against God, and they were uh, hating on each other as part of their rebellion from God, because God calls us to love. And the problem with that was they were a nation that was about to be divided when Isaiah started prophesying, or had just been divided, actually. And the reason they were divided is because, get this, because the things that they disagreed about became more important than the things that united them. Isn't it amazing how relevant scripture is, even if it's centuries old? The things that they disagreed about became more important to them and became the things that they emphasized and focused on rather than the things that united them. And when you do that a generation or two down the road, you split up. There are no guarantees that historically, if you know your history, there are no guarantees that nations stay together just because they're together now. History shows that they rarely do stay together. And that if we aren't careful, we lose what we take for granted. Because we insist on emphasizing our divisions more than the things that unite us. And we insist on focusing on the hate more than the love that God calls us to. And that's part of their rebellion against God. And so how that mattered geographically and in terms of what happened next was Israel and Judah became two different nations. Israel to the north had their capital in Samaria. Judah to the south had their capital in Jerusalem, which is also referred to as Zion in the Old Testament. And they didn't really like each other at all. And they were split up, and that made them weaker. When they were together, they were stronger, and they could hold up in defense against neighboring nations that threatened to devour and attack them. And there were a lot of those. Syria was rising up to becoming a great world power when Isaiah started prophesying in the 700s BC. The Yellow Territory is the area that Assyria controlled, and they started to control over Israel and Judah too. Egypt was a bit of a force to the south too, even though Assyria temporarily had jurisdiction over them. But the reason this connects to the whole homecoming theme in Scripture and in the book of Isaiah and how it relates to us is this. The Assyrians, when they came over and took over Israel to the north, didn't let them stay home. They said, not only are we taking over your nation, we're forcing you to leave. We're taking your homes, we're taking your cities, we're taking your palaces, we're taking your temple, we're taking it all, and you have to leave and go to some undesirable geographical places in the Assyrian Empire where you're going to live as second-class citizens. 
Not long after that, within the next century or century and a half, the Assyrians fell to the Babylonians. The Babylonians come over and take over most of this same yellow area in the Middle East, and now Judah's going to fall. This is the world into which Isaiah is proclaiming the word of God. And the reason that matters is it helps us understand as we read it, but it also brings it in a very relevant way right to us where we live. When we start to understand the context that Isaiah is calling people home because God is calling Isaiah to call them home. Now, Isaiah was an ordinary person. You might hear all that and say, wow, Isaiah is the biggest prophet in the Old Testament, although Elijah might have a bone to pick with that. But he's one of the top two anyway. He's got the granddaddy of all prophetic books, the book of Isaiah. He's speaking God's word faithfully, these words of warning and these words of comfort and hope. And so you might be tempted to think Isaiah is almost like, I don't know, almost Jesus-like. He must have been a saint. He must have been one of those super religious, super spiritual people. But you'd be wrong. The Bible, if nothing else, has a very consistent theme of surprising us by the kinds of people God picks, which is really good news for those of us who are ordinary, which is really good news for those of us who aren't perfect morally, spiritually, uh, righteously, uh, religiously. It's really good news for us that we are not outside of the realm of God's big plans for this world. The fact of the matter is God didn't create you on accident, that he has a purpose for your life, and finding that purpose and living it out is really important, not just for you, but for God and for God's purposes. It's part of being faithful. Isaiah didn't think he was prophet material. He thought he lived in the wrong side of town. He had the wrong lifestyle. He was a sinner. Uh, he was a cusser. He was a filthy mouth kind of guy. And he hung out with cussers and filthy mouth kind of people. And he said that. He retells the story at the beginning of Isaiah chapter 6. And he says, I got a vision from God. There's angels and everything. And it's kind of freaking me out. And then God says, hey, I'm calling you to be this prophet, Isaiah. And Isaiah's response is, you've got the wrong address. Well, that's not literally what he says, but that's an par accurate paraphrase of what he says. You're, you've got the wrong guy. I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among a people of filthy lips. Turn to the person next to you and say, that sounds a lot like you. No, 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 don't, don't. Cancel that request. <laughs> Unless it does, then you can whisper it just a little bit. You, you, you don't understand I'm just an ornery kind of ordinary guy. And then you start to realize biblically, those are the kinds of guys and gals that God always picks. Have you taken a close look at the disciples lately? Not the religious leaders, not the professors, not the scribes. Fishermen, tax collectors, salt of the earth. Have you, have you looked at the Old Testament? who God picked and made this covenant with? Abraham, Sarah, multiple spouses. You think reality TV shows dysfunctional families? Read Genesis, right? <laughs> Chaos. Moses, murderer. These are the kinds of people God picks. David, adulterer. Ordered somebody's death on the battlefield. And yet, and this is a little bit challenging for an evangelical world that likes to keep everything so black and white and cut and dry and say who can lead and who can't lead in church. God never kicked any of them out of the leadership club. He kept them all in. He even invited Judas to the Last Supper. He never kicked David out as a leader even though David was committing adultery. He never, he never kicked any of them out which is a huge challenge to the religiosity of our modern day world who likes to control God and keep things real clean. God surprises us. Let me put it another way. If God isn't surprising you once in a while, your faith is too comfortable. If God doesn't kind of blow you away once in a while, like, wow, God is very radical. God is full of a grace that makes me a little uncomfortable where he's so inclusive where he welcomes people in who I, I don't know should be completely welcomed in. This is scripture rather than what religion often 
minimizes and tries to put little safety bubbles around scripture. Say, well, let's not look at that too close. The fact of the matter is God calls people like Isaiah, filthy-lipped people who hang out with filthy-lipped people. But here's the other thing I want you to hear. God doesn't leave people like that. Before God sent Isaiah out to do his prophetic work, he didn't say, hey, as you're prophesying, just go cuss up a, a, you know, a blue streak. Just, did I say blue streak? I don't even know what that means. Just, just go cuss like a sailor. Just, just, just go out and do, do your thing. That'll make it real. That'll make it raw. That'll make it really down to earth. Just be a cussing preacher. That's really cool. And I've gone like 25 years here, and I think I've only slipped once. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you when or what I said, but there it is. Because, um, because God wants to remind us, I made you for more than having that filthy mouth. I made you for more than that adultery. I made you for more than choosing your own lifestyle and your own morals. I made you for more. I, Before I send you out, Isaiah, here's what I'm going to do. And Isaiah goes on and writes about it in Isaiah 6. And he says, and then in this vision, there's these angels. And they come after I tell God I've got filthy lips and a filthy mouth. He sends an angel and he takes a hot coal and he puts it on my lips. (laughs) To clean me out. You think your mother threatening to wash your mouth out with soap was bad. Here comes God with the big big coal, right? I mean, he's, he's... He's using the refining fire of his Holy Spirit to forgive Isaiah's sins. And if you think I'm pushing that too far, read it in Isaiah 6, because Isaiah says, he was forgiving my sins. And it's meant to be taken spiritually more than literally. He was setting me free from my past, my guilt, my shame. He was telling me, okay, that used to be who you are, a a, a cuss and filthy mouth kind of ordinary guy. Now you're going to be an ordinary guy who speaks the word of God to a world that's dying to hear it, to a world that's about to go into exile, to a world that's in big trouble. And because I love this world, God says, I'm warning them. So that's why the first 39 chapters of Isaiah are these words of warning. And then, going back to the map, they go into exile. Then they fall into, this is Assyrian, but they go into Babylonian exile in the same region. And now Isaiah's prophesying in advance 150 years later. Not, he's saying this in the 700s BC, but this is for a generation, several generations that will follow, who will find themselves in exile and then coming home from Babylonian exile when Cyrus, the Persian king, takes over and releases, takes over the Babylonians and releases the Israelites to, get this, go back home. Go back home. Go back to your homes. So now Isaiah's words are words of comfort and hope. And he starts in chapter 40 by saying, comfort, comfort my people. Uses those exact words. Comfort my people. And then he uses something that's going to get quoted in the New Testament. Make straight every crooked path. Lower the big hillsides and raise up the valleys. Which is what John the Baptist is going to do. And that's what everybody says about John the Baptist. Fulfilling prophecies from Isaiah in the New Testament. And now lines between Old and New Testament are starting to blur. As they should. If your break between Old Testament faith and New Testament faith is too clean, you need to get it a little more blurry. You need to kind of mess it up a little bit because grace isn't some new theological concept that gets introduced in the New Testament Gospels. Grace is something that shows up over and over and over again throughout the Old Testament. In fact, the closer you look at the prophecies in Isaiah, the more you start to see not just grace, but the one who brings grace into our world in a whole new way. And he has a name. And what is his name? He's our Savior and he's our Lord and his name is... Come on, church. What's his name? That name literally means in the original language, the one who saves. And just saying it, I believe God invented it this way. Just saying his name, if our hearts and minds or spirits are open to it, is healing. Try it. 
Just saying the name of Jesus in your daily life reminds you of who you are, whose you are, who's got the power, and what God is up to in our world today. He's a savior. He's a grace giver. He's a God who shows up and brings us exactly what we need, exactly when we need it. When we're slipping and we're in full-blown rebellion from God, and we're getting too comfortable in our faith, and we're starting to say things like, well, God, I'll fit you in if I'm not too busy doing really important things, God sends us words of warning and says, this will not end well for you. And because I love you, I'm warning you. Turn around. Change the way you think. Repent is the word for it in the Bible. God spoke those words of repentance through the prophets like Isaiah. But he also brings these words of comfort in a powerful way and in a way that helps us to start to see that there isn't this super clean separation between Old and New Testament. In fact, if you've been here at Hope the last three weeks, whatever campus or local site you're at, you've seen this same logo that that our communications team put together for this sermon series, the book of Isaiah, hashtag Tomorrowland, which is all about what's coming next. How many times did you look at it before you saw the cross? Do you see Jesus in Isaiah? Because he's most certainly there. Let's read this together from this chapter, our Bible reading for today, Isaiah 53. Keep this in mind before we read it. This was proclaimed by Isaiah, the word of the Lord, over 700 years before Jesus was ever born. Kind of cool. Let's read it together. He was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. Who does that sound like, church? What's his name? Jesus. Come on, what's his name? He's the one who saves. He's the one who heals us with his stripes by being whipped, by being beaten. He's pierced and crushed for our sins, for the things in us that aren't clean. And he shows up with the coal and he burns the sin away. So much so, and maybe just one of you will get this today in a way that you didn't get it before and hopefully a lot of the rest of you have gotten it before and will get it again so that you walk out of here different than the way you came in. Free, cleansed, forgiven. That's where Isaiah's going here with these words of God that he's proclaiming to God's people. Come home. Come home where you are loved even though they know who you are. Come home to the place of grace Come home to this place where God is here for you. As I was studying for this sermon this week, it hit me, and then it started to hit me even bigger. And I'm gonna write this out here, and for a reason you'll see in a second, and you see it up on the screen as well, a little bit cleaner, better penmanship anyway. That not just in the book of Isaiah, but throughout the whole Old Testament for sure, But beyond that, I would suggest throughout the whole Bible and throughout our whole lives, throughout the whole of human history, there's this circle of life, if you will. And there's a fall involved, which we read about in the first book of the Bible and has ramifications that run all the way through the rest of Scripture and all the way through the rest of human history, right up to where we live right now. And there's redemption. And there's a movement. You don't do life and you don't do spirituality in a vacuum. There's a fall down and there's a redemption up. There's a salvation up. And in the rhythm of the Old Testament, we find that. We don't have to wait for the New Testament to get there. We live in glory, or we seek glory. Shame would be the opposite of that. Glory is from the Greek word in the New Testament, doxa, which means heaven breaks through on earth. We get glimpses of heaven. These are the moments where you know love, where... um, You feel grace, you experience it. It could be a moment, it could be a season of life. These are the seasons of life where you are just praising God for the opportunities, for being alive, for being in the situations you're in. And almost always it has to do with relationships. Thank you God for my friendships. Thank you God for my church groups. Thank you God for my family. Thank you God for my marriage. Thank you, God, for, for my relationship with my kids or grandkids or other relatives or neighbors or coworkers or classmates. That's glory. 
You don't get to stay there, this side of heaven, in a fallen world, but you, you and I get glimpses of it, and it's glorious. That's why we call it glorious, because it's awesome. But we're human, and we are by nature sinful and unclean, the Bible says, and so we drift. And then you never graduate from drifting this side of heaven. That train doesn't arrive at a station this side of heaven in an imperfect fallen world where we're all sinners, where we just park it at glory. We drift, and we get distracted. We can get bored, or, or, or we can get sidetracked, or, or, or we could, you know, squirrel. We could get, kind of get, oh, there's God's squirrel, but I'm going to chase after that. And that's one thing, but if the drift turns into full-blown rebellion, now we're in trouble. Because rebellion's going to lead to suffering. And suffering leads to death. And shame is almost worse. Because that's us carrying the burden of life that makes us cynical and weighs us down and makes us angry and spiteful. You know the people who just drive you nuts because they're so inconsistent, because they're so just mean, because there's a darkness in their spirit, there's an evil? Do you know why they're like that? It's because hurting people hurt people. It's because they've been hurt somewhere along the way, maybe generationally, maybe specifically in their own lives. It's coming out that way because they've been hurt. Regardless, we walk in this shame and there's no life in it. It's the exact polar opposite of glory. And so here comes the Savior to the rescue. The cross is here in the middle of it. And shame leads to a, a new way of thinking. Most people wrongly think that repentance is about morality and changing some moral behavior. That's like a, um, a, a consequence of repentance. But literally, repentance is more a changing of the way we think about things. I am tired and exhausted, chasing after life on my own, drifting away from God, making up my own rules, rebelling against God, telling God I don't need God, and seeing the suffering as a result. And that doesn't mean God is some uh, mad mathematician up in heaven who's like, oh, if you sin, then I'm gonna punish you in a way that's equally just for your sin, and then you're gonna get this punishment. It's way messier than that. I don't mean that that doesn't happen. I mean, there are sins that you can do that are gonna hurt you specifically. If you abuse your body for 40 years, you're gonna get sick. Or more. If you uh, run a red light, every time you see a red light, you're probably gonna crash your car, and it's kind of unfair to blame God for that. God, why? Because you run red lights all the time, that's why. If you have a picnic on 235 during rush hour, you probably get run over eventually. And it's kind of unfair to say, God, why the suffering? Why? Because you have picnics on the freeway, that's why. It's just silly. Change the way you think. Change the way you think about life. And start seeing it God's way. So repentance leads to, I'm already talking about it, trust. And saying, I believe, and this is the moment of salvation. It's not about you. It's not about us climbing a ladder from shame to glory. It's about a rescue mission. It's about God coming down to earth to find us in our rebellion and suffering and shame, and even in our drift sometimes, and calling us to a new way of thinking, a new way of living, to put our trust in him instead of our trust in ourselves or in somebody else, and that's where new life comes as a result of faith. We get new life now, and we get eternal life in heaven, and that leads to glory. Ultimately, glory in the kingdom of heaven that'll never end. So where are you in this circle? I realize it's a little more complex for a lot of us that you'd say, I'm like in three or four places all at once. And it's really a fast shift. It's like, Poof. I mean, at what moment of what day do you want me to decide where I am? I mean more in general. Are you going this way or that way these days? And let me show you one more, I think, kind of important thing. We're all gonna drift and from drifting, it's easy to fall into rebellion, suffering, and shame. And then we can even repent, but then we go back to drifting. And round and round we go, and guess what happens now? You miss out on the best stuff this side of heaven. You miss out on the faith, you miss out on the new life, and you miss out on the glimpses of glory. Because you're on the wrong circuit. If instead of taking this red circle, we take a new one and we go from glimpses of God's glory in this life to drifting, we're like, you know, I'm gonna stop it right there. I'm gonna change, I, I, 
This is why it's so important to have community around you. So somebody who loves you says, hey, you're drifting. You're drifting away from God. You're drifting away from, you're, you're made for more than this. This isn't you, you're better than this. Not somebody who's gonna be like, yeah, while you're drifting, let's rebel. Let, let, let's just go all in. No, you, you, you're drifting, and so I'm calling you to change the way you think right now. God says through a prophet that he brings into your life. Before you fall into, who wants to hang out here? This is no fun. <laughs> Rebellion and suffering and shame is a horrible existence. So when you start to drift, move to repentance and then trust and renewal and glory. And if you're gonna make a circuit this side of heaven, let this be your circuit. Stay out of the red, stay in the blue. That's what God is saying through Isaiah. And this prophecy has relevance, incredible relevance for us today because it's all about our relationship with God and our relationship with other people. The hymn, Amazing Grace, is the most popular Christian hymn in the world today for good reason. It was written by John Newton, who was a former slave owner on a ship after he had been called to repentance and found new life in Christ, and he left the red circle behind and he got on the blue circle. But it took him a while because he didn't think he was worthy. He said, I sold human beings into slavery. I could never be forgiven for that. I could never be redeemed. And then he realized the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. Then he realized who he was dealing with and the force of God's grace, that it wasn't just some sort of, you know, light emotion that we sprinkle over our lives to make ourselves feel a little better about who we are or give us some tips for a better life. No, it's a full-blown transformation. Somebody challenged John Newton to dive into the scriptures on this, and he was surprised. Remember, God is full of surprises. John Newton's surprise was, God loves me anyway. God's grace is bigger than my sin. My sin is huge. My sin is as big as any human sin could possibly be, John Newton thought. But God's mercy and his grace is wider than my sin. And he knew that God was taking a hot coal and burning his past away. And all of his sin was erased. And so he was raised up to a new life. And then he sat down on a ship and he wrote about it. And among other things, he wrote, how precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Can you imagine? I hope you can. Do you remember the hour you first believed? When you realized even though, not God loves me because I'm a pretty good person. Not God loves me because I practice all these spiritual disciplines. Not God is for me and I stand right before holy God because I'm very moral and I don't do those things that those other people do. But God loves you because of Jesus. There's that name again. God loves you. By his wounds we are healed. The prophecy says 700 years before he's born. How did Isaiah know? How did Isaiah know that Jesus, the Messiah, would be born in Bethlehem? Because he said that in his book, the book of Isaiah. How did Isaiah know that he would be born to a virgin? How did he know the details of Jesus' birth announcement 700 years before he's born? How did he know that he'd be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace? Because that's in Isaiah too. He said, I thought that was New Testament. No, 700 years before Jesus is born. Isaiah is writing about him like he's his next door neighbor, like he knows his, the details of his life. Because he does. It's the power of God's word and God's presence and God's majesty and God's grace. Do you remember the hour you first believed in that? Do you remember the hour you first realized how big it was? That it was enough to save your soul for everlasting life? That it was enough to conquer your death, to conquer your grave? Or maybe today's the day you get it and you come up for prayer at whatever campus you're at, and you ask God to bless that moment. Good. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. That's glory. That's as good as it gets this side of heaven. And along the way, we see the Savior who brings this grace. And God has piled all our sins, everything we've done wrong on him. Gospel of Luke, what? No, book of Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus was born. This is Jesus. Do you see him? Do you see him in the Old Testament prophets? Do you see him on the screen? 
This image has been shown to thousands of Americans in a survey, and half of them see nothing except random sticks, and half of Americans see Jesus. What do you see? Now, don't get too smug. And I'll be like, well, I see Jesus, and the people who don't must not be good enough Christians. That must be. That's true, but we're patient with them, right? That's <laughs> not true. It's not true. Here's the J. Here's the E. If you don't see it yet, here's the S. U S. And once you see it, you can't unsee it, can you? Now it's just Jesus. And that's how it is to read through Isaiah and the whole Old Testament and the scriptures and realize. It's all about Jesus. From cover to cover, it's all about him. It is a testimony to God's love poured out through Jesus Christ. At the cross in the empty tomb, it reaches its pinnacle, but it builds up until then and it points back to it after that as well. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's always been Jesus. And so the cross has always been there in Isaiah and in the relationships we have with God and with one another. Here's a couple of pictures uh, from the Bible camp where I spoke in Denmark a couple weeks ago. It's called It's called Bible Camping. And I'm trying to get that down. You have to dig way down deep into your Scandinavian to find it. It's In America, we call it Hajalarup Bible Camping. That's what it is. <laughs> So there we were at Hajalarup, and here's, here's the big tent at the center of camp, the little Danish flag out front, big Danish flag actually. This is a horse camp that the Christians in Denmark take over once a year for eight or nine days. And this is just a, a small snapshot of all the campers and tents and trailers that go forever and ever around it. Think Woodstock meets Bible camp, and you've got a kind of an idea here. This is phenomenal, what happens here. We had so much fun in Denmark, we brought 22 young adults back with us, and they're now living here at Hope West Des Moines for 10 days to kind of hang out with us and, and look around. That was planned ahead of time. We didn't just say, hey, get on the plane with us, but they're, they're here. <laughs> that would be hope, actually. This big tent is bigger than the sanctuary here in West Des Moines. It seats 3,000 people or so. This room seats about 26 or 2,700. Uh, there are Danes who come from all over the country for this camp, and they are gung-ho. And it rained most of the week. The weather was terrible, kind of like it was here this morning. But unlike here in America, where we're weather wimps and we freak out when it rains, they uh, just kept going. When they get rain, their kids just get boots, and they play in puddles and such. And if they didn't do that, they'd never go outside, because it rains a lot in Denmark in the summer, as I'm told. Uh, but it was very inspiring. Uh, the, the people there are gung-ho. Imagine, if you will, being a Christian in a nation where most people aren't Christians. You say, don't have to imagine it. We live here. Where maybe a third or so of Americans are all-in Christians. I mean, devoted, not afraid to say it, Christians. Instead of just Christians in name only, I mean all-in Christians. You say, we, we know what it's like to be the minority. Imagine being in a minority that's 1% of your country. That's what it is in Denmark. A high, oh, the majority of Danes call themselves Lutherans because Lutheranism is the state church. I don't know what this says about Lutherans. But they don't believe it. 99% of them don't believe it. They just go through the rituals for the sake of Danish heritage, baptisms, confirmations, weddings in churches, not because they believe it, but because it's just their Danish heritage. Kind of heartbreaking, but it also means there's a huge mission field there. So imagine being um, an all-in Danish Christian. You're in the one or two percent category, and 98 or nine, 98 or 99 percent of all the people around you think you're absolutely nuts, like akin to believing that you were born on the planet Mars. What? What? You believe what? Can you imagine what that's like? Where the minority is so small, so can you imagine how great it is for thousands of these Danes to come together 
every year to hang out to each other, to, to find each other, to find fellowship and, and, and relationship with God and with one another and to worship. They met every morning for a few hours. They met every evening. Uh, I did five different uh, speeches and I said, well, how long do you want me to go? They said, not too long. An hour and 20 minutes will be fine. I'm like, I'm in heaven. This is, <laughs> this is finally people. Yes, this is great. And then after an hour and 20 minute sermon, they do seven worship songs. Here at Hope, it's like pulling teeth to get you to stay for one at the end of the sermon. After, you know, not an hour and 20 minutes either. See, my servant will prosper, God says in Isaiah 52. He'll be highly exalted. He's gonna startle many nations. He's gonna wake them up. He's gonna call them home. They'll see what they had not been told. They'll hear what they had not listened to before. They'll start to see Jesus in these things. And I believe Denmark is ripe for this kind of a revival as I believe it here too. And the vision that God has given to us for the future that I can't wait to roll out for you uh, over the next 10 years. We're calling it 10 for 10, 10 goals for the next 10 years. You think the last 25 years was exciting. Wait till you see the crystal clear vision that God has given for us for the future. God is on the move here, just as he is in other places. And this is the thing that we share in common as sisters and brothers in Christ, that we have this love from God for us and our love for God, and we have this call to love one another in the same way that God loves us. So I'm at this camp, and I'm in one of these trailers. In fact, our trailer would be just off the screen at the very edge of camp over here. And the bathrooms are like here and here and here. And it's about an 18-mile walk. No, I'm exaggerating. It's about four minutes to go from our trailer to the bathroom. Sally and I timed it. Uh, so one night I drank too much water before I went to bed, and about one in the morning I was like, oh no. <laughs> and I didn't walk, I like sprinted all the way to the bathroom, was very excited that, that I got there, and then as I'm going back, I slow down and I look around the camp, it's about one in the morning, and I'm looking around, walking down this main road back to our trailer, and half the camp is still up. Now, I don't know that for sure. That's not like st statistical for sure. I didn't creepily look into everybody's camper. Are you sleeping? I'm taking a survey for my sermon next week. <laughs> I, uh, I did notice this, though. A lot of lights were on, not just inside the campers, but in the the makeshift patios that they all built with canvas tents outside of their trailers. And they had tables and chairs and hardly anybody was, nobody was sitting alone. Everybody was in community. They have a word for it in Denmark, it's called huga. They like candles, they eat a lot of really good food. They have like 14 different breads, 15 coffees, 29 cheeses. They're like, oh, come on over. They sound like the Swedish chef on the Muppets. Ushka bishka boo, we're having cheese. Come on over. <laughs> they don't like Swedes, so that probably is not complimentary to them. But uh, so, so a couple of nights, Sally and I were invited over and we experienced huga. It doesn't have a word in English to translate it into. That's pretty telling. Hear the word of God, because <laughs> I really believe this is the word of God. You have got to slow down. You are running, 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 running to the next thing, to the next thing, to the next thing, to the next thing. When are you going to live? When are you going to breathe? And it's not because the Danes are lazy or they aren't hardworking or they aren't motivated or they aren't driven. They're all of those things but they will not be cheated on Huga. They will not be cheated on the things that bring them life. They will not be cheated on the stuff, the fellowship, the connections, the glory moments, the renewal moments, the friendship moments, the moments where they come alive again. They aren't just about, oh, here are our career goals. Here are the athletic goals for our kids. Here's the academic goals for them. Here, all those things, are they have those, and they have them in spades, but they park it almost every day for the good part of the day where they sit down with each other and just be. No agenda, they're not playing drinking games, they're just hanging out together, enjoying each other's company, 
doing life together. Slow down. Helmut Thielicke, the brilliant theologian, I've said this before, I'll say it again until we change. He said prophetically, a word of God, I believe most Americans should have engraved on their tombstones brilliant performance, but you missed the point. You just kept running. And when did you live? When did you appreciate what you have? Those of you who are feeling it the most right now maybe are the ones who have kids who are going off to college. And I hope and I believe a lot of you have done this really extremely well and you deserve a huge pat on the back. Along the way you stopped. Along the way you said, we are not gonna let these kids grow up in our house without having relationships with them. They're gonna have relationships with them. We're gonna have family. We're gonna be together. And when we go off and run and do things, we're gonna do it as a family. We're gonna do it together. We're gonna do life. And we will not be cheated. Come home. God says through the prophet Isaiah to these lands that are going into exile or coming home from exile, come home. Come home to me. And don't miss out on the best things in life. This is a picture of Flom, Norway. After I was done speaking in Denmark, we got on a plane with Sally's flight benefits and we flew to Flom. We flew to Flom. That was fun. I didn't say that until today. <laughs> and so this is Flom, uh, where there's this famous railway uh, along the way. And uh, on this famous railway, which I'm looking for the slide, there it is. I took this picture. This is Isaiah, our Bible reading too. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We've left God's path to follow our own. So I thought that was gospels. It is, they're quoting Isaiah. Sheep follow each other and they don't think it through enough. And if everybody else is running, 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 even if they're running off a cliff, all the rest of the sheep are gonna follow them. And it always makes me a little nervous to talk about sheep because I was an English major. And it's hard to let you know if I'm talking about plural sheep or singular sheep. But it really doesn't matter if you follow me. Are you following me? They follow each other and they don't think about it. <laughs> so here go the sheep running off a cliff because they don't think. And they don't change the way they think, which is repentance. I took this picture on the Flom Railway, which according to a lot of travel magazines is supposed to be the most beautiful railway in the world. It's a short, like half hour trip and uh, I took this picture not because I was trying to creep on this family who are all either sleeping or looking on their phones but because outside of this window right here there's you got to trust me there's a glorious waterfall <laughs> I'm just not a good photographer and I was on the wrong side of the train for this picture but I noticed everybody on that side of the train except for this group was taking pictures outside of the window and these guys were missing it. And I do not want to be hard on this family. That very well could have been me and my family at some other part of our trip if my family was with us. And I suppose it could be you too. But here's what I want to say about that because I don't want to pile on. It's so easy these days to just say, oh, screens are evil and bad and God is good. And so throw your screens away. I think screens can be great. And I think they can be bad. I think what's terrible are distractions from life. I think what's terrible is going astray like sheep and drifting from God and glory and, and falling away from the life that God made us to live when we miss that we were made for more. Whatever the distraction is, whatever the distraction is, name it and overcome it. Don't let anything get in the way of the good stuff, of the relationship that God wants to have with you. So we're flying into Bergen, Norway, where my people are from. According to my mom, this is the church where my grandparents' grandparents attended. And somewhere out in the cemetery are their gravestones. And so my wife and I took bikes out to go look at it because we, we, we railed past it on the train. And they said, here's this old church built in 1670. And you can go out and see it uh, on your little tour today. And so we went out and saw it, and we went into the church, and that was very moving. It was also moving to fly into Bergen, 
because I know that this is the place. My mom's always told me, my dad's always told me, both sides of my family have Norwegian blood. Um, my dad would jokingly always say, because he was not as Norwegian as my mom, but he was somewhat, he'd say, well, Mike, you're 50% Norwegian and you're 50% pure. Uh, and <laughs> it's just a joke. But this part of me, the 50% of me, my heritage comes from this part of the world. My older brother's, um, you know, a Fulbright scholar, thinker, kind of academic, and he did all the research on this and the DNA testing, and he says, yep, mom's right, this is where we're from. This is the part of the world, somewhere between Flom and Stavanger on both sides of the family, and we're not exactly sure exactly where, but this is, this is the region. So when we're flying over that region coming in, I thought we were going there to see the scenery. I thought we were going there just because it would be fun to see where my people are from. I was not expecting the emotion. <laughs> just talking about it right now makes me emotional. I'm sitting in the airplane on the window seat. First time I got a window seat this whole trip. Why do people get window seats and close the window? <laughs> just gotta stop doing that. Just, if you're gonna close the window, sit somewhere else. Let the window lookers get the window. So I finally get a window after sitting in the dark all the way across the Atlantic Ocean. And I'm looking out over Norway and I start to get emotional in a Scandinavian way, which means no projectile tears, just sort of <laughs> Can't talk, I can't talk. My, my wife says, this is really beautiful. I'm like, yeah, yeah. She goes, okay, you have your moment. Because she's not Norwegian at all. And she's proud of that. So I'm looking out the window. She goes, and afterwards she goes, what happened there? I said, it just hit me. It's not, it's beautiful, but it's not the beauty of the scenery. It's, uh, this is where my grandparents' grandparents are from. These are my, this is my story. This is part of my home. And it's not the place, it's the people. You get that, right? It's the people imagining that they lived here and, and loved here and fought here and struggled here and had joys here and they went to church here and they met Jesus here. <laughs> and because they met Jesus here, they passed it on and I met Jesus. And because I met Jesus, by God's grace, I get to hang out in the blue circle instead of the red circle, only by the grace of God, not by the goodness of me, but by the grace of God. And it hit me and it overwhelmed me. God calls us home in all sorts of different ways. Almost every single one of us in America, almost all of us, not all of us, but almost all of us are immigrants or sons or daughters of immigrants. We, we came here as refugees or immigrants from a foreign land and, and we show up here and so our stories are complex. Our stories stretch out across oceans in different directions, and, and they become a part of the fabric and the greatness of this nation. And it gets overwhelming when you start to realize that in the midst of all of it, wherever you're from, it really doesn't matter. What matters the most is that all of us are created by the same creator. All of us are given the opportunity to meet the same savior. If the church would wake up and do its job and proclaim the good news around the world, calling people home, that's our job. Just like Isaiah in the Old Testament, Jesus in the New Testament, Lutheran Church of Hope today, come home and tell the world there's a home for you here and invite them to come and see because it is a game changer. It is a life changer. It is the difference between hanging out down here and being redeemed and finding our way up to glimpses of God's glory. Not just someday when we die and go to heaven, but right here and right now. Give your Savior praise. What's his name? Jesus. I'm so sorry. I'm used to Denmark, our 20-minute sermons. I just looked at the clock. Wow, I owe you time. Next week, I'll make it up, I promise. <laughs> so we go across the train to the other side of Norway in Oslo, 
and we end up in a hotel that as God would have it, God is full of surprises. It's called the America Lingen Hotel, right downtown Oslo, and when we check in, I said, where's the name come from? And the very kind African uh, woman behind the counter says, uh, well, it's uh, like this. I don't know the details of the whole story, but here's what I know for sure. Every Norwegian that ever immigrated to America from this side of Norway came through this building, which means all my people came through this building. And then she says, upstairs there's a room we didn't touch when we converted this building to a hotel, which was the processing room. And every family from Norway that came to America had to go through this room. And that's the room where I sit. And I realized God's call to come home surprises us in all sorts of ways. For this world is not our permanent home, but we're looking forward to a home yet to come. We're just getting glimpses now, but they're good. Welcome home, welcome home. It is so good to be church together. Do not take this for granted. Live your life for what God created you to live it for. A relationship with him and a relationship with the world around you, amen? Amen, Amen. I so have to let you go. Go in peace, serve the Lord. Turn it over to the campus pastors to do the same. Thanks for coming. We're We're really glad that you're here today and I wanna echo that call that whatever that means for you to come home, Soak that in, breathe that in. We're, we're really busy people. And one of the things that we miss when we just go, 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 go is those moments. And maybe this is one of those moments. I know there's a thousand things you need to do. What does God want to do in you right now? So we're going to close the song. The band's going to lead us in. It's called Build My Life. And maybe God's call is not, maybe you're home. You're saying, I, I have a home here at Hope, and that's awesome. But maybe God's call is for you to truly come home, to make him the absolute priority in your life. No matter who you are or where you've come from today, whether this is your first time or your hundredth time, for some of you, that call might take you across the street to your neighbors to invite, to welcome them in, to get somebody else here, to make it a priority, whatever it means. By the way, our friends in Denmark aren't just somewhere. They're, they're right here. They're right in here. So can you welcome them here to Hope Des Moines? They're right here with us this morning. Oh, yeah. You want to know how much they love Jesus? They've been here for both services the whole morning. So top that, okay? I'm just kidding. God loves you and he wants your whole heart. He wants your whole life, not just for an hour on Sunday, but your whole heart. So let's stand. Let's worship him. Let's close together.